Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, James Minnert, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is my colleague, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, who's associate director of the center. Today's podcast focuses on information contained in two reports that USDA released on March 31st, namely the prospective plantings and the quarterly grain stocks reports, and some implications for the 2023 corn and soybean outlook. So, Michael, it was an interesting report this morning. Uh, USDA released that corn acreage. That was really the number I think people were really awaiting and, and really wondering about. A lot of estimates indicating that acreage is going to be up. And indeed it was. It came in at just fractionally below 92 million acres. I think 91.996 million acres was USDA's estimate. Um, and some big increases in some key states. So if you look at Iowa, it was up. Illinois was up. Uh, Minnesota was up substantially. South Dakota was up substantially. And our home state, Indiana, was up as well. So that was, to me, maybe one of the bigger surprises. I didn't anticipate, based on some of the work we'd done earlier this winter, uh, to see that kind of corn acreage response in in Indiana. And if you look at the acreage numbers, you know, last year we were at 88.6, so we're at roughly 92 million acres this year. That still leaves us below where we were two years ago, But other than two years ago, you'd have to go all the way back to 2016 to see a larger corn acreage number. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. uh, It's very important to point out that some of the biggest increases were in states that had quite a bit of prevent plant last year, uh, South Dakota and North Dakota specifically. And so one of the largest increases in corn corn acreage was in that state of North Dakota, uh, an increase of of uh, 800,000 acres. And so that's a 27% increase. And so that was the number that really stuck out uh, in my mind. But if you look across the Corn Belt, uh, most of the states were up with the exception of Nebraska uh, was down slightly. Yeah, the percentage increase in uh, North Dakota was phenomenal at 27 percent, but some pretty healthy increases in some other states. Uh, I think Minnesota was up a little over 4 percent. Indiana, in terms of percentage increases, was one of the larger ones as well, especially when you back away from that South Dakota increase. We were up 4.8 percent. A little surprising, and that's really the highest corn acreage for about six or seven years. Uh, You know, we've been we've been in the lower fives uh, in terms of corn acreage for quite a while now. So, if you compare USDA's estimate today, uh, really to a couple of things, compare it to the industry estimates that were released by a lot of different private analysts prior to the report. USDA was on the high end. I think there was one analyst that was identified as uh, having a a forecast that was about the same as USDA's. But if you look at all the other industry analysts, um, they were, USDA came in a little higher. A lot of the analysts were in the ballpark of that 91 million acres. And and that was the forecast that USDA itself released back at the Ag Outlook Forum in uh, late February in in Washington, D.C., uh, Seth Myers, chief uh, chief economist for USDA, that was the number he was working with uh, when he published his balance sheets at that conference. So, a little bit above that, but um, maybe not as high as some of the early estimates we heard tossed around, especially late last fall and and early winter. There were some pretty big numbers tossed around in the industry, but um, about a million acres above where a lot of people were expecting uh, the corn acreage at least coming into the report. Implications for that, uh, the planning intentions, uh, you kind of pencil that through and use USDA's uh, trend estimate for corn yield. Um, Basically gives you a a modest increase in uh, corn production for 2023. 
penciling through on my balance sheet, that works out to about 15.15 billion bushels. That's up from 13.73 last year. Puts us a little bit above uh, where we were two years ago. Two years ago, corn production was 15.07 billion bushels and, and actually matches corn production from 2016. So uh, it's a big number uh, by historical standards, uh, really potentially a record high number, depending on exactly how the yield turns out this, uh, this summer. Um, but maybe not as big of an increase as some people were perhaps uh, concerned about coming in. However, if you, you work through the balance sheet and think about what does this mean for an ending stocks uh, carryover into uh, the 2024 crop year, excuse me, into the 2023 crop year from the, uh, I'll state that again, carryover from the 23 crop into the 24 crop, uh, it puts a potential carryover up in the ballpark of about 14%. That's up from just under 10% for the 22 crop uh, going into the 23 crop year. So if you think about you know, why we're seeing some weakness or have seen some weakness in corn prices uh, for the new crop versus old crop, uh, that increase in the carryover estimate uh, from a balance sheet perspective really explains that pretty, pretty well. Um, the other report that USDA released, and I think it's important to kind of mention this, was the corn stocks estimate. Um, and the corn stocks estimate uh, came in somewhat on the low side. It wasn't below everybody's expectations, but if you look at the range of industry expectations, it did come in a little bit on the low side at about 7.4 billion bushels. And that's important because if we're corn stocks are lower than expected, that implies we're either off on last year's crop or we're off on one of the usage estimates. And the trade-off there really is going to be probably on the feed usage versus the size of last year's crop. But it suggests that um, maybe the corn stocks going into the new marketing year maybe not quite as large and maybe the carryover a little bit tighter than what the balance sheets are showing. Do you agree with that, Michael? Yes, uh, the feed usage was, was down considerably this year compared to last year's balance sheet. And so maybe that was overestimated. Uh, that's kind of my hunch that, that, that some of it's coming from feed. That's, that's the first thing you look at. And then the second thing you start thinking about, well, what was the crop size? Was the crop size wrong? So um, there's just to point out the feed usage number on USDA's balance sheets is a residual number. It's not one that really comes out of a survey. So there's always some guesstimation going on with respect to feed usage, and it's a tough one to get a handle on. And so that's that's the challenge. Um, if you look at futures, the futures response uh, following the report was positive for the old crop, and I think that reflects a little bit of what we were talking about with the grain stocks estimate. Uh, if you look at new crop, essentially flat to maybe slightly weaker. It was kind of bouncing around. Michael, when we uh, started recording this podcast, I think it was maybe down a penny compared to the, uh, before. And not too surprising because the numbers kind of came in not too far off from what people were expecting and obviously still a lot of uncertainty with respect to where those yields wind up, right? Yes, definitely. And and it's important to point out we are a little higher than where we were a week or two ago. Uh, a week or two ago, we were we were about 20 cents lower than we where we currently at. And uh, uh, one of the things that's that's going to be really interesting to watch here, particularly for soybeans, we're getting to that, is is look for some rallies here uh, in, the, in the upcoming months because the soybean stocks are very tight. And there's just there's quite a bit of still quite a bit of uncertainty on, on where these acreages are going to end up. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we should probably go back to that, Michael, because thinking about that acreage chart that looks at it on a state-by-state -state basis, a big chunk of the increase in corn acreage coming out of states that have had trouble getting the crop in the ground the last few years, and those are namely North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. And 
I'm not a weather forecaster. I guess you aren't either. But it's not a lock that they're going to see the kind of weather that would allow them to get those acres planted this spring versus the weather we saw the last couple of years. you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, so you always have to watch those three states uh, in terms of uh, preventive plant. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be a little bit of a wild card here these next uh, six or eight weeks. And as you think about weather forecast and watching the weather, one of the things that I think the trade's going to be focused on very carefully is what the weather impacts are in those states because those are the states that have had trouble in recent years and the big increases expected there those might or might not materialize let's take a look at the soybean side soybean acreage came in essentially unchanged compared to last year 87.505 million acres um, as you look at it illinois no change in acreage uh, iowa there was no change um, Minnesota was up, and that was really a function of ju them just planting more acres in total. Uh, the biggest percentage increase was in North Dakota, again, a little bit like corn, pulling back, uh, pulling acres back in that, that were not planted in, in the last couple of years. Um, and then on the, the one state that kind of jumps out as a, a negative was Missouri. Missouri acreage down, I think, 1.6% on, on uh, soybean acreage. Yeah, and Indiana was also down slightly. Uh, you know, essentially, in Indiana, you increased corn acres and decreased uh, decreased soybean acres, about 250,000 acres. One of the things that's truly remarkable, before we get into the, the state numbers in more detail here, Jim, is we were able to add approximately 3 million acres of corn compared to last year and keep soybeans the same. And so that's 3 million additional acres that we have for both corn and soybean that we didn't have last year. Why? Uh, again, it's that preventive planting. And so again, we re-emphasize in the fact uh, that you really need to take a close look at weather this year uh, to see if we actually get 180 million acres of corn and soybeans. Yeah, and just to kind of reiterate what you were saying a little bit ago, Michael, it's interesting to look at the map of soybean uh, planting intentions and compare that to corn. And except for the northern Corn Belt and the northern plains, it's almost a mirror image of the other one, right? So a lot of positive states, a lot of increases in corn acreage in many of the Corn Belt states, um, and then reductions or flat uh, on soybean acreage. Uh, and, and when you look at the increases, again, they're just coming mostly out of that northern Corn Belt area. So a big percentage increases, I think, what, North Dakota up 14, almost 15%. Uh, South Dakota up almost 4%, uh, Minnesota up 1.3%, uh, Wisconsin up 6.5%. Those are some of the biggest increases in the Corn Belt. And then you see some, some increases in the southeast. Now, the total acreage out of those states is relatively small compared to the Corn Belt, obviously. But Another interesting one to me, and we spent a lot of years in Kansas working at Kansas State University, Jim, is that the acreage was down substantially in Kansas to the tune of about 450,000 acres. And essentially what happened in Kansas is they planted more wheat. Uh, they've got more wheat this year than they've had in quite a while. Uh, and they planted more wheat and less soybeans. And I think that's probably also true for Oklahoma, right? Right. Yeah, Same story. Yeah. And I think the drought, the, you know, very severe drought in that, in that region this last year and it's persisting uh, here. Uh, I think that's that's also been that's also part of the picture there. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's drought driven. Uh, OK, so if you look at it on a combined basis and this is a little bit of what you were talking about earlier, Michael, on a combined basis, corn and soybean planted acreage, um, the big increases again in the northern Corn Belt, uh, northern Plains states. Um, Essentially, no change here in Indiana. We just kind of flip-flopped on the corn and soybeans in Indiana. Um, we did have some record large production or record large acreage in uh, eastern Corn Belt states, Ohio in particular, um, Kentucky. Uh, 
who else is up there? Wisconsin was up at a record large. So several states record large when you combine corn and soybean acreage in, into a single number. So that's kind of interesting going forward. Um, if you look at industry expectations for that combination of corn and soybean acreage, USDA's estimate came in pretty close to the average, maybe slightly above the average, but not too much of what the industry expectations were coming in. Basically sitting right at 179.5 million acres. Um, I think if you looked at the industry average, it was probably about 250,000 acres below that, but not much. So on a combined basis, pretty much what people were expecting. And if you look at principal crop acres uh, and look at the combination across time, that is an interesting chart. And I just am going to mention that those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you can download the charts that we're looking at as we, as we visit about this. Um, that's an interesting chart to look at because the combined acreage for the principal crop acres, uh, 318 million acres, basically takes us back to where we were in that 2015 to about 2018 time frame. So we've been there before with respect to the total acreage uh, being planted. And I think that's a question some people had with this bump in acreage going into corn. Where are these acres coming from? Well, these are acres that we've been planting, right? It's just a reallocation of the cropping acreage over, across the major crops. Um, and we have had smaller plantings in recent years, largely because of this prevented planting situation, right? Yeah, and last year we had about 312 million acres. This year we're at 318 million acres. If you look at that 6 million, 6 million acre increase, three is for corn and three is for wheat. Yeah. Essentially where, how that falls out. Whether that'll actually materialize, again, we, it depends on the weather. So where does that leave us in terms of production numbers? If you look at the planting intentions and the uh, projected yield, Really no change in production compared to what USDA forecast at the Ag Outlook Forum back in February. So 4.51 billion bushels. Um, that's up from 22 crop estimate of 4.28 um, and actually would be a record large production number. So the previous record I think is 4.47 for the 21 crop. So that 4.51 would be record large if it materializes, but that's a combination of a trend yield and assuming the acreage comes in as forecast on, on the, the report uh, earlier today. If you look at ending stocks as a percentage of usage, it does imply an increase in ending stocks relative to total usage, but not a huge one. Uh, 22 crop, still a little bit below uh, 5% based on the most recent WASDE report. Uh, this would suggest a, a carryover of about 6 or maybe just a touch over 6%. Uh, going into the 24 crop year. So um, no big surprise there uh, when you look at it from that standpoint. And we look at the ending stocks estimate, um, USDA was a little bit below, um, excuse me, not the ending stocks, the soybean stocks estimate. USDA did come in a little bit on the low side compared to industry expectations. They came in a little below 1.7 billion bushels. Again, the average estimate for the trade was probably in the 175 to 1.8 billion bushels. Uh, so that implies maybe the ending stocks are a little tighter than what we're showing on the WASD balance sheet. The WASD balance sheet is showing a, a 22 crop carryover into the 23 crop year of 210 million bushels. And if you look at the soybean stock estimate off the report today, uh, that number might be overstated. And if you think about you know the response we saw in the futures market immediately following the report, uh, the positive aspect of the response was really focused on uh, pretty heavily on uh, the old crop contracts. 
reflecting that tightness uh, of, of the ending stock. So I think when we see the April WASD report, people are going to look at that ending stocks estimate very carefully because the grain stocks estimate here suggests that that is overstated and we could see that uh, carryover drop below 200 million bushels, right? What's extremely amazing to me here, Jim, I'm getting a little off of what you were talking about there. What's extremely amazing to me here is we're, we're thinking about a record soybean crop and we're still just barely filling the pipeline. Uh, the stocks to use is still down 6.1%. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this is we could see a lot of volatility in the soybean market in the next two or three months. Yeah, the other thing that uh, you and I were talking about before we started recording was the fact that if you look at the work that Nathan Thompson has done, um, his work suggests that year in and year out, an unhedged strategy for soybeans into the spring months has been a pretty good marketing play. And that would feed right into what you were talking about, right? The next couple of months, we could see some upside volatility. You, you said volatility. I'm going to say upside yeah, volatility. I agree with the upside. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely that potential. And uh, you know, that was what the futures market was focused on immediately following the reports released today. Um, so, Michael, you took a look at the corn to soybean acreage ratio here in Indiana. That's kind of interesting. What, tell us about that. Well, the long-term ratio since 73, I know that's a long time time period, but basically the start of the, the export markets uh, in 73 and going all the way to today, the long-run long ratio of corn to soybean acreage is 1.18. It's been much lower than that since 2007, uh, but in particular, the last, the last eight years, including 23, if the acreage actually materializes, is we, we've actually seen more soybeans than corn in Indiana. That's only happened twice uh, before 2016, uh, 2002, and 2006. And so we're in really uncharted territory uh, in terms of our acreage mix in Indiana the last the last few years. And, and we're really uh, we're really mimicking to some extent what happens in Ohio. Ohio for a long time now has had more soybeans uh, than corn. And, and I just find this really interesting. Maybe I'm the only person that that finds that really interesting but uh, uh, obviously the demand for soybeans in Indiana is pretty strong. Yeah and well it's, it's not only demand for soybeans but it's all a reflection of productivity of soybeans relative to corn in Indiana right and yes. eastern corn belt in general. Yeah one of the things we've talked about in, in previous podcasts and webinars is when you look at the corn to soybean yields compared to Illinois and Iowa it favors soybeans in Indiana. Uh, we get really good soybean yields uh, very you know competing with with Iowa and Illinois but their corn yields are higher. Uh, yeah, if overall, I mean, obviously we've got some good corn-producing regions in Indiana, but when you look at the the entire state, uh, you know that we uh, soybeans are, are more attractive, relatively more attractive than they are in Illinois and Iowa. So I, I think we have to kind of reiterate that even though we're looking at a, a substantial increase in corn acreage in Indiana, it's still reflecting that longer term trend that you yes. were talking about right so and i think it's also remarkable that that you know illinois has a similar uh, long run trend in terms of having more corn uh, than soybeans in fact the ratio is identical 1.18 since 73 illinois is also very similar in terms of their corn and soybean acres uh, for next year you have to go over to iowa uh, before you start seeing a lot more corn than soybeans so i have to point out that We've been talking about this for some time over the course of the winter, and you've been thinking about your budgets that, that simulate a West Central Indiana farm, and those budgets have tended to favor planting soybeans in 2023 versus corn. 
the amount that it was favored it was was actually higher uh, you know before this recent drop in soybeans and we took quite a bit out of the soybean market they went up a little bit today and they've uh, they've been up a little bit less last week in, in general uh, but but we, we, we took quite a bit out you know three four weeks ago uh, in, in the soybean market but even with that even if you factor that in uh, soybeans is still sl- looks like slightly more profitable uh, than corn yeah I mean I think looking at your current uh, budget you know, you're Projections at the moment would suggest about a fifty dollar per acre. Yeah. Now that's assuming that uh, uh, that we don't have we don't have as strong a corn yields as we had the last two years. Uh, that's reverting back to the trend yield. We've been above trend on corn yields the last two years. So let's talk a little bit then about why we saw what took place here in Indiana. And I think one of the things that you were pointing out earlier is the fact that fertilizer values have come down pretty substantially since December. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not near as high as what they were uh, twenty. You know, twenty two uh, back in twenty twenty two at the at the, at this time. And I think that made corn relatively more attractive. Certainly in people's minds, right? Yeah. When you when you crunch through the budget, at least the budget you've been working with, it still looks like soybeans are favored. But we've got two things that were maybe influencing people's decision making. One was the fact that corn yields have been strong and above trend these last two years, and maybe people are kind of projecting that happening again in 23, and then the fertilizer values are really looking quite a bit better than they were earlier in the year. They're still above average. I mean, it's not like we've gotten back to what we would call normal but it's still uh, much, much better than it was just a couple months ago. Yeah, and they're getting closer to where they were in, in 21. They're getting closer to where they were a couple years ago, and, and that's certainly good news for corn. If you think about it, I, they've, there's certainly some projections, maybe some further downward movement, particularly with respect to nitrogen, right? So, um, so let's kind of wrap up and see, you know, where does this leave us in terms of a farm income forecast for the year? And you've kind of updated that for your West Central Indiana case farm. We just got done talking about the fact that fertilizer prices are down, but a lot of the other inputs are still are still up a little bit or the same as they were last year. And so we still have relatively high cost of production. So you combine that with the fact that uh, you're looking at corn, uh, what is Jim, $1.50 lower? In the fall, compared to what it was, uh, you know, it was this year. Maybe even more than that, depending on when you marketed the corn. Uh, and, and so you you combine those two things, and you're looking at much tighter margins uh, for 23 than what we saw in 21 and 22. Now, 21 and 22 were very good years, uh, both from a U.S. net farm income, but also net farm income in Indiana. Uh, but I'm I'm looking at I'm I think we are going to have margins that are probably as low, if not slightly lower, than what we saw in 20. 19. Yeah, your current projection would actually suggest maybe in the closer to where we were in, say, 2014. Yes. Um, 2015 in Indiana was kind of a disaster, so it's better than 2015 and better than 2017 as well. But down substantially and down below, certainly below the longer term average. I like to talk about this in terms of, uh, you know, dividing the, the 2007 to 23 period into blocks. You got that 27 to 2013 period where we had very strong uh, profits. And then we saw that period from 14 to 19 where we actually saw some weakness in cash rents and land values. And then the last uh, two, three years have been pretty good. Uh, I don't know if we're heading there long term, uh, if it's just 23, but it looks like we're heading back to where, where returns were from 14 to 19, at least for 23. All right. So with that, Michael, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, and of course, just reminding folks that if you're interested, you can download a set of charts that accompany this and look at some of the, the charts that Michael and I were looking at as we were kind of visiting about the information on the two reports today. 
Those are available on our website, purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And of course, uh, if you're listening on the web, just a reminder that you can do listen to this podcast uh, by any of the major uh, commercial uh, podcast providers. So uh, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. And on behalf of my colleague, Dr. Michael Angemeyer in the Center for Commercial Agriculture, thanks for listening. I'm Jim Minter.